0: guys can stand back up. Uh, I'm going to read our scripture for today, uh, but just part of it. I'm going to start in Jeremiah chapter nine. It says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, please bless us this morning. We come in in uh, various different states this morning, but um, all of us are here for you. We want to know more about you. We want to hear the good news of the gospel. We want to hear some good news about Everything in our lives, everything we're experiencing, we're trying to process it. We need you for that, Lord. We want to know more about you, and we don't want anything extra that would distract, even if it is a good thing. Um, So, Lord, please open up our minds and hearts as we seek to learn from you this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys can be seated. So uh, for those of you that don't know me, um, I think all of you do, my name is Christian Wall. I'm a deacon here and an elder candidate. And uh, Matt is not with us this morning. He is taking a break, but not really a break. He's actually preaching somewhere else and I can't remember where it was. And I really should have texted him this morning. He told me once, so I didn't write it down. Um, So he's kind of taking a break this morning, but that's why I'm here wanted to relieve him, but you guys have just seen me less than a month ago, uh, so hello again. Um, <clears throat> we are currently, if you, if you aren't aware, I think we've announced it enough that everybody should know that we are currently in a Bible study series on the book of Jeremiah right now. I'm leading that. It's every first and third Thursday of the month, and it happens right here in the lobby and it's been really good for me. I've already read through the book of Jeremiah, and I love it, um, but there's still so much more that I can get out of it for taking a purposeful study and trying to teach other people about the things that I've learned in that book. And there's a lot that we can learn from that book because there's so much stuff that went wrong in Israel. It's not a very happy book, it's a very sad book, but there's so much that we today can learn from the problems that Israel faced between 700 and 500 BC uh, that resulted in their exile. Um, we are wrapping up our Esther sermon series right now. And that's that book itself is the story of Israel in exile. So to be able to step back and wonder, how did we get here? What went wrong? Uh, that's what the book of Jeremiah is about. And the content of that book is Kind of hard to follow if when you're reading it you bring along a lot of cultural misconceptions about who God is. If you think you already understand who God is, you understand his values and his actions and that nothing can take you by surprise, you'll you'll be a little confused when you walk into the book of Jeremiah because in this book God is angry, very angry. And for a lot of us we might think that doesn't sound very godly. I thought God was a God of love. He would never get angry. Um, But we know that there's a righteous kind of anger, a righteous anger that is rooted in love, and you see a lot of that in the book of Jeremiah. You'll see God uh, punishing people, not just any people, his own people, and that can also be kind of confusing for some of us, because that doesn't make sense. God doesn't punish his people. God doesn't punish people at all until they're in hell, but that's not true. That's what happens in the book of Jeremiah, and if you want to understand more about that, uh, you can come on out, and we can we can study about it, but we begin each of our studies trying to, trying to center ourselves and get ready for any kind of confusion. As long as we understand the, the very core of who God is and what he wants, everything else will start to make sense. So here's where we start every one of our studies. We have to take a step back and say, what is God's goal here? And God's ultimate goal in all of human history from the beginning of the Bible the end of the bible is he wants to reconcile humanity back to himself so in the very beginning of the bible we see the fall we see this split we see that we used to be one with god god was with us we were with god and everything was good and everything was right but because we sinned we can't be in his presence anymore because he's holy and divine it would burn us up in a second but also because Uh, He he wants us to want him. We want to be in his presence, but we didn't want that anymore. That's where the split happens. And all of the Bible is about God's actions that he's taken to reconcile us back. And that's how the Bible ends, is with God being with man again. And it's such great news, and we cannot wait to see it happen. Uh, But a part of that goal, God has a strategy that he wants to achieve this through, We know that that God is the only one. God in Jesus is the only one that can reconcile humanity to himself. But that doesn't mean that we sit by and do nothing. We are image bearers of God. God made us, and he made us for a purpose. He made us for a reason. We are his hands and feet here in the world. God makes covenants with human beings all throughout the Bible, and that's how he acts. That's how he intends to carry out this reconciling plan is through us. We have a part in that. they're called covenants, and I've talked about them before, so I won't take too much time talking about it, talking about the covenants with Noah and Abraham, Moses, the nation of Israel. Uh, he uses the prophets. He uses the apostles. Uh, that's that's us. We're the church. The church is the people that are supposed to be on this mission of reconciling the world back to God, okay? So as we glorify and enjoy God forever, a part of that reconciling work where we are today It's a little bit different from Israel back in the day. It's a little different through each period uh, of history in the Bible. But today, it's very clear our role in all of this reconciling is living for God and evangelism. Evangelism is our primary aim in trying to reconcile the world to God. That's what we want to do. Okay? So even though the most important work was completed in Jesus, we carry on that good news ourselves today. So I just wanted to get all that stuff out of the way before we look at this one scripture that I'm I'm focusing on and the second scripture to back it up. So we're talking right now about, in the book of Jeremiah, we're looking at a moment where the people of Israel forgot who God was, and they forgot his values, and they stopped caring about all of that stuff, and they had a different idea in their head about who God was and what he really wanted. That's why I give us that reminder real quick, because... That's what this problem is. There's a moment in history when Israel forgot exactly who God was and thought that he was something else, okay? So let's just jump right into the scripture. I just read it. We'll read it one more time. In Jeremiah chapter 9, starting in verse 23, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. There's a reason that I've read this before, and if you've been at like BGA with me or something, and you ask like, what kind of scripture are you reading right now? I bring this one up a lot because I love it. There's so much that God is doing in these two verses. They're, they are it's here to correct some misconceptions about God, and it's also here to give some direction, to take some things out of your hand and go, don't focus on these, focus on these instead, right? It tells me not to put all my, all my time and my energy and my focus in boasting on, on wisdom and on might and on riches. Even though those are good things, they're not worth spending all my time on. Instead, I'm supposed to spend all my time and all my boasting ought to be in understanding and knowing God. And it makes it so simple and so plain. As long as I never lose sight of the character of God, as long as I never trade values and decide to value something that God doesn't value, then, then I'm on the right track. And these two verses set me right all the time. And, and this, this instruction in this verse can be applied on so many different levels. It can apply to just me, all on my own in my private life. It can apply to the way that I order my family and the priorities that we set as a as a family unit and it can also apply to our our whole nation right it was said to the people of israel because the people of israel their entire nation needed this 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 check hey fix this your 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 priorities as a nation are on wisdom and might and riches and it shouldn't be instead you should think more about me you should want to understand and know me i have values follow these instead okay so i'm I'm not the only one that liked this passage. Uh, today, the other scripture that we're going to be reading is coming from someone else who's studying the Book of Jeremiah, and his name is Paul. Uh, I, I love when this happens in the Bible when you hear something that that you go, hang on, I think I've read that before, and you have to flip back and find who they're quoting, find the original scripture. And just knowing that Paul was reading Jeremiah and taking instruction from it and and teaching people directly from it, it, it It makes me feel good. I like that a lot. The gap here is 600 years, by the way. So, to give us some context, that's about the gap from us today to the invention of the printing press. That's how far back Paul has to look to remember what Jeremiah was talking about. And a lot of stuff has happened in between that time because for Jeremiah, Jesus had not come, Israel was just being destroyed, Uh, it, it was going very poorly. Paul's on the other side of all that stuff, he's watched Jerusalem fall, but then he's also seen the people come back in Ezra and Nehemiah. He's seen the, the temple reconstructed. He's seen Israel not restored to its former glory, but he's seen it you know, rise again. And he's seen uh, Rome take over. And he's seen Jesus show up on the scene. And he's seen the gospel itself play out in human history. And so for him to look back at Jeremiah and still apply it to his life and apply it to his ministry is really great news. You know, even though everything has changed, nothing has changed. It's the same God, and I really like that. So let's jump right in, and let's see what, let's see what Paul took out of this, this verse in Jeremiah. We'll start in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. <coughs> I'm just going to read the first two verses first. For, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Okay, so just for a little bit of context, this is not really a study in the book of 1 Corinthians, but just a little bit of context. The church at Corinth was one that that Paul liked, but they they were kind of Uh, i've heard them described as a combination of a little new york a little la a little vegas they were morally bankrupt they were modern they were at the crossroads of a lot of different civilizations there was a lot of cultural exchange they were highly educated this was a hot spot for the advancement of humanity but it was also morally corrupt and when paul went there and started a church it was successful but you can imagine that those people had a lot of hurdles to get over to try to redeem the culture that they were a part of. To become a church out of a culture like that is a little difficult. And you might carry with you some old habits, some old values, and they have a lot to unlearn. So it, it, so in this moment, they're kind of given to a little bit of tribalism and they're splitting over secondary issues and they're, they're finding teachers that they like and favorite uh, but but they're losing sight of the core message. And that's what Paul's trying to draw them back into is the very center of the message. Guys, let's stay focused. This is what we're supposed to be thinking about. Evangelism, the gospel, that's what we're supposed to be thinking about. And he's got to remind them first that <clears throat> God's ways and his wisdom is contrary to the thinking of this world. It's upside down to the way that the world is thinking, okay? He's saying in this verse, Right where he says that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. To paraphrase, he's saying the world thinks that it's dumb to try to save the world by dying. You can't can't do that. You can't save the world by dying. It's foolishness for us to, to think, I need to be saved. Where will I turn? I'll turn to that crucified guy. That doesn't make any sense. You need someone strong, you need someone wise, you need someone alive, and He's none of those things, and the world, no matter how you spin it, might never get over how dumb that sounds. It sounds dumb, according to the values and wisdom of the world. That's that's antithetical to all of it. It's upside down, okay? But but that's the God that we serve, right? We serve a wise and and powerful God, and He's about to get further into it. The more the more that we read into the Scripture, but these, these upside down values of God, the way that he shows his power is he uses the weakest of us, right? He's a skilled craftsman and you can tell how skilled he is because he's not using the best and brightest and shiniest tools. He's using old, terrible ones, right? We serve a God who chooses the second son. He doesn't choose the firstborn. He wants that guy, right? He always chooses the runt of the litter, like David was, the youngest of all of those sons, not strong, not tall, out in the field somewhere, forgotten. He chooses, when he wants to make a great nation, he he doesn't go to the one with the great armies and the great palaces and the expanding empire. He chooses a nation of slaves. Who does that? Who chooses slaves to be his great nation in the world, right? What about the forefathers of our faith? He, cho- he, wants, he wants someone who's going to start this great nation, uh, and he chooses an old, frail man and his frail, old, uh, barren wife with plenty of contention between them, a whole life of regrets and anger, and he says, it's them. Those are the ones that I'm going to choose, right? He, he chooses the old and the frail, but he also chooses the, the people that feel like they're way too young, like Jeremiah. He's either going way old or way young, but he never goes in the middle where we go. We want might. We want strength. We want power. We want charisma, right? We want Saul, but God didn't want Saul. God wanted David, right? So how strong is our God? How encouraging is that knowing that he uses all those people? What that tells me is that he can use me. I can be used by God because I'm not way up there. I'm not sensational, right? We serve a powerful God that doesn't just work through the powerful and the dynamic and the charismatic people. He chooses people like us, you know, not to fault any of you. I'm sure you're great, but I'm not. Okay. So knowing that we're fighting that uphill battle, right? The world has existing values and we're trying to, trying to advance ours, but they don't get it. They may never get it. It feels like we're at an impasse. So what do we do? How are we supposed to evangelize in a world where their thinking is contrary to God's thinking? Let's let's read on, and and we'll start to understand. I'm reading in verse 20. So, where is the one who is wise, says Paul? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? is wiser than men and the weakness of god is stronger than men okay so the world is can't quite figure it out we've got that when paul says that line there when he's when he says who is who is the one who is wise where's the scribe where's the debater of this age it's kind of a taunt it's kind of like a challenge like he's he's throwing his glove out for a for a duel or something right he's he's pointing to the salvation that god offers to us as people and he's saying, did you really think you could figure this out with your powerful human reason? You thought you could overcome sin like this? It, it's, he's kind of like taunting the wisdom of the world. Where where are you? But he's he gives a couple examples in the world. He says that these are the people Jeremiah is talking about that boast in wisdom, and they boast in might, and they boast in riches. That's what they boast in. So Paul is starting at a good place. If we're Back in our focus of trying to figure out evangelism in a world where they don't want it, uh, he wants us first to consider our audience. Consider our audience. Let's look at who we're preaching to. He gives examples. He starts by saying the Jews want a demonstration or a sign uh, because they, they they have their own goals and they want a Messiah that's gonna prove himself and show up on the scene in a powerful, mighty way, overthrow Rome, reinstitute the temple, kick all the Gentiles out, make Israel great again. That's what the Jews want, okay? And that's something that we want too. We like that demonstration of might and power. That's what we're looking for. And when we don't see it, uh, we start to wonder what's going on with God, right? They boast in might. Or you've got the Greeks. The Greeks were famous for, for boasting in wisdom, right? But wisdom is just a means to an end. God can offer them all the wisdom in the world. He created the world he sowed these themes of, of wisdom throughout the way that the world works and the properties that govern it. So, of course, he has wisdom to offer. But when the Greeks get that wisdom, they're willing to push God aside and go, thank you, we're going to go do what we want to do with this now. We've got what we need. They boast in wisdom. And then you've got, uh, you've got the law, even. right? God gave us the law, and the law is good, and it's godly. It's godly wisdom. Uh, but the Jews historically did the same thing with the law. They took the law and they said, this is great. I can't wait to oppress people based on this law. I can't wait to subjugate the entire population with this and maybe even add to it. God, we don't need you anymore. We'll, you can see yourself out. We've got what we need, right? They're boasting in wisdom again. They're saying, we have the answer. Why can't you figure it out? Why can't you get on my level? Look at, look at how well I keep this law. And other people in, in, in Corinth For instance, you you can take the blessing of God that he's given you, good gifts of grace, you know, food and wine and sex and uh, safety and security, nature even, all the enjoyment that creation is full of, the riches of God, and it can turn into idolatry. It can turn us into being almost more animal than human. We can exchange the image of God that we're supposed to have where we enjoy things rightly and just kind of turn into hedonists. Uh, boasting in the riches of God and saying, look at all the richness that God has filled my life with. And we lose sight of who he is. We push him aside and take his stuff and say, I'm fine with just this. This is all that I needed, okay? So in thinking about evangelism, if we offer these things to people and they can just take them and walk away and leave God, then... That's, that's not the right strategy that we should have, right? God definitely has these things. God is a wise God. God is a God of wisdom. He is a God of might. He is a God of riches. And we should even talk about those things. But I think you'll find if you try to use that as your strategy for evangelism, then you'll kind of come up short, okay? So for instance, I've, I've tried to talk to people about Jesus and, and the conversation The conversation, a lot of times, if they're leading it, will lead into the area of uh, news and politics, because that's the way that a lot of people talk about Christian ethics these days. You see it in a headline, see it in a tweet, see it in a news story, see it in some debate about public policy, and that's the area that people want to talk about. And our Christian values that are being debated on on the world stage, uh, they are a fine thing to talk about because we do have a good value system. We we do, because it's from God. Uh, But it's not the the central thing that we ought to be talking about, okay? I've had debates with other people when I was more in the mood to debate when I was younger, um, not so much anymore, uh, debates about uh, the historicity of the Bible, how reliable the Bible is as a historical document. And it is, and I still like talking about it. I haven't done my homework right now, so I can't pull out all of the facts that I, that I had at once, but talking about things like how many, uh, how many direct copies of the Bible we have versus other historical texts and all that kind of stuff, just like proving the Bible. It's a great study and I like it, uh, but it's not the central thing that I should be boasting in. I'm, I'll waste a lot of time on that issue and this person is not any closer to knowing God or loving God, right? even though it's a good thing to talk about. Um, I've had very good conversations with people about Christian wisdom, about Proverbs, and, uh, and people like that. People like that a lot. People talk about the golden rule, talk about doing unto others, um, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. People like that, it's nice. It's very quotable, it's very tweetable, it's, it's a nice thing to live your life off of. And I've met plenty of people that, that feel like, oh, that, that Jesus was a pretty nice guy. I I have no shortage of those people that I've spoken to, but none of those things, none of those secondary issues are enough. Those things are still central to me, and I love talking about them, but it's not the central thing that will help save you, that will help people understand. So we still want to save these people, these people that we're debating or that we're talking to, I hope that our attitude towards them is one of love and one of 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 seeking like i I want to help you i want to save you right if that's our attitude then we we're still kind of coming up short we need we need instruction so what do we boast in if it's not going to be any of these things what do we boast in so let's read on i'll uh pick back up in verse 26 in verse 26 for consider your calling brothers says paul You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, but the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. <clears throat> that's, it. That's, that's it. It's exactly what we read in, in Jeremiah. What do we boast in? We boast in the Lord. Okay? So let me break it down. God is wise, and even wisdom itself begins with the fear of the Lord, right? But wisdom alone can't save you. And God is, of course, mighty. He is all-powerful, and he exercises complete control over the natural and the supernatural world. God is mighty. But God being mighty doesn't save you, okay? And God is rich, and it is within God's power to make people either rich or poor, but God's riches cannot save you, okay? So what will? What does save us if it's not the wisdom and the riches and the might of God? It's the fact that God is our father. We as Christians call God father, right? That verse that we just read, there's a real, real central article in verse 30 and because of him you are in christ jesus who became to us wisdom from god righteousness sanctification and redemption you are in christ jesus okay so before we we thought when we talk about uh when we talk about god and we talk about his wisdom might and riches before if we're not in christ we're not on the same side as all that wisdom, might, and riches. He's over here headed straight for us. All of his energy is focused on taking us out. But now that we're in Christ, all of his power is behind us, pushing us forward. We're in Christ, okay? So now things have, things have flipped. We've forgotten in all of this discussion and debating and everything we've forgotten that god is a god of justice and if it wasn't for jesus we don't have a share in all of the riches and the goodness of god we we don't belong in there we have no business even talking about it okay and we would be enemies and rebels of a righteous god if we weren't in him okay the message that we're that we're trying to get across is that all of us are born sinners right right we're not born neutral, and we get to kind of figure it out as we go along. One day we lean wrong, one day we lean right. No, we're born rebels and sinners. We don't have a share in what God has, okay? And we might think, we might be, uh, be persuaded into thinking we just need a little wisdom to get ourselves back on the right track. We just need a little wisdom to help us navigate life. We need a little bit of might from God to conquer our difficulties, but then we're fine on our own. Or we might just need a little bit more riches, just a little more riches to enjoy and live a free and easy life. But that is not what this says. None of these things have dealt with our core problem, our absolute core problem. None of them have dealt with our sin, okay? If we're looking for peace and we're looking for satisfaction and joy, these are things that can't be found here and they can't be found in wisdom and riches and power and all that stuff. That deep satisfaction and joy and peace is stuff that can only be found in God, and God is on the other side of a very great divide that is uncrossable, and there is no cunning or force we can use to break our way in there, dig our way under, jump our way over, or walk around. There is no way. It is an impassable barrier between us and God, and that leaves us in a hopeless position. What do you mean there's nothing I can do? That's frightening. What do you mean everything is always gonna be out of reach? Nothing will ever satisfy. There'll always be a bigger fish to come and eat me no matter how strong I get in this life. You mean to tell me that I'll never get there? I'm always doomed to come up short? But it's the truth, okay? But, the, and, the, and the point is not that, oh, oh I, I could get over there if I could just knuckle down and stop sinning. Just stop sinning and then I'll find myself in heaven one day. Because even if, and it's not possible for us to just really try very hard for the rest of our lives to be very good, it's that that hasn't dealt with any of the stain and damage of our past. Not just things that we've done, but things that other people have done to us. We're covered in the effects of sin, and that's something that can't be overcome. So that puts us in an even more hopeless place. It's not about our action from this point on and we'll really shape up, but no, we haven't dealt with our past and we never can, okay? That's the hopelessness that we find ourselves in, but it's not about what we can do to get over. It's about what he has done in reaching over and coming to us in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our hopeless place. God reaches over, and that's exactly what the cross is because that cross that the world calls dumb, was supposed to have me on it. I was supposed to die on this side of the wall and never make it in there, but instead someone else died. Instead, God himself died to allow me to be in his presence. That is the power of God. The world calls it dumb, but we understand that that's the only way past this barrier, that all the wisdom in the world and all the resources of the world can't hope to achieve that, but God can. And God did, right? He let me into his presence and no amount of proverbs, no law, no muscles, no army, no riches, none of that could do that. So none of them are worth boasting in, okay? So when Jeremiah says, let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight. That's, that should be the heart of our evangelism, is that the more time we waste on those secondary issues and trying to put a nice spin on things to make everybody feel comfortable, we will miss the very core truth. And I know that that puts you in a difficult position, because now nobody wants to talk about sin. Nobody wants to talk about that core problem that's headed for all of us, I would, it would be strange if I, what we call polite conversation, it doesn't make sense to bring this up around the water cooler or bring this up. It, there's not a lot of forums left to talk about the deep sin that we all deal with. Uh, but I don't want to leave you guys in, in the dark, okay? I, I want to give you some advice, but I, I want to warn us away from that temptation because it it is hard to come up to someone and straight up call them a sinner. So maybe don't do that. Maybe choose a different way around. But don't miss it, though. Don't soften the blow to make them feel comfortable because you may be able to even get them in church. You may be able to use the wisdom and the might and the riches to fill these pews, right? If you spin it just right and if you make this church look glamorous enough and if you make these people look shiny enough, and if you make the wisdom of God look so, uh, what's the word, Uh, so, so useful, right, if you make God seem useful, then yeah, you could fill this church up, absolutely, you just have to strategize, right, but none of those people would actually be saved, they would just like the stuff of God and not God himself, okay, so, don't soften the blow, but there is technically kind of a way to soften the blow. There's, it's, a, it's just, it's the one tip that I've got, okay? My personal tip that I have found is to talk about your sin, okay? To be vulnerable, all right? And so as, as vulnerable as the situation allows, I'm not gonna talk about every sin that I've ever done with everyone I've ever met. I'm going to pick and choose. I'm gonna be wise about it, and you can too. But the people that you live around, work around your neighbors, if they've known you for long enough, they know you're a sinner already. They've already seen it firsthand. Even if you thought that you were sneaky about it, they might think of you as just another person. They might not even think of you as like a Christian. And that should put us in a, in a frightening place. But if they already know about your sin, then you're free to talk about it. And you're free not just to talk about it, but you're free to boast in the fact that God saved you from it right? Hey, look, I know you've known me for a long time, or even take this opportunity. I've sinned against you, and you may not have known it. I just want to set the record straight. I want to be clear here. What I did in this in this situation, it was wrong, and I just want to repent to you and ask you if you will forgive me, because that's what that's what God's told me to do, okay? That seems strange. I don't know if I want to do that. It seems strange to the rest of the world because like I said before, God's values are upside down to what, to what the world values. The world doesn't value vulnerability that deeply. The world really likes facades. The world likes a powerful image. The world likes you to be put together and likes, likes for you to have it together. And so the moment that you take all that stuff down and you go, I'm a flawed human being behind here. They go, whoa, I don't know if I wanted to see that. But how powerful is it for someone to see the real true vulnerability that they know they're hiding and to watch it get dealt with right there in front of them, to watch someone go, you know, I was broken once. You know, I was I was in a real sad, sorry, terrible place, but you know, God saved me out of it. For them to go, oh, that's great. You know, I'm also in a sad, sorry place. You know, privately, I don't tell anybody about it, but I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm afraid a lot. And I wish that I could have the security that they just talked about. And you know what, he just gave me the answer. I think I might give that a try. Okay, that's my one tip. That's all I've got. When, when we read that, that portion of Jeremiah, that should just be our reminder. There's a lot of stuff to talk about about God because God is, so, God is so wise, God is so mighty, God is so rich. But if we talk about all that stuff and leave out the most important central part about us being saved from our sin, then we've messed up. So if we take one thing away, boast in God, boast in that god has saved your soul that's the most important most important thing the most central thing that we can remember that boast in the fact that i'm a sinner i don't belong here i don't know why i'm here but god loved me and i'm just happy about that i i can't i can't stop smiling about the fact that god loved me and saved me that's all i can say okay so with that i'm going to move us into our time of communion because that's exactly what communion is about.